Good morning, again. (laughs) Uh, If you'll grab your Bible and find Matthew chapter 9, we're going to continue in our series, and I just have a couple of quick announcements while we're doing that. Um, We have uh, heard from the Madison Jail Ministry. They need donations for women's clothing. They said the, the biggest needs they have are size XL, so, but it could be anything. This is for um, inmates who are being released and don't have uh, much in the way of clothes. And so we've got some donation bins out in the lobby. If you have some clothes, you, uh, you know, old clothes to get rid of, or if you would want to buy some, or if you would want to go shopping, we have money in the Mercy Fund, and we could give you a budget and let you go shopping for, uh, for some of these ladies. But yeah, uh, so that's in. We're going to collect clothes through October for that. So if you see bins in the lobby, that's what they're for. Um, also, next, well, a couple of Sundays, a few Sundays from now, we're going to do something called Pizza with the Pastors, August 14th. It's immediately following this service. And the reason why we're doing that is I recently, um, as we closed our fiscal year uh, at the end of June, I was just looking at trends and attendance and all these things and I ran a report in our database and I found out that we have over 150 new people in the last 12 months here at Lakeview Church. So that's incredible. That's literally like 50% of our average attendance. <laughs> um, so if you're, if you're new and you're looking around and you're feeling like, I don't really know what's going on, just look, j- nobody else does either. <laughs> it's okay. Um, and so that's exciting. God's bringing us growth uh, through new people. He's bringing us growth through a uh, baby explosion that's happening in our church right now. And there's lots of fun things that's, that are going on. But here's, here's why I'm, I'm saying this. Um, how many of you have been here longer than a month? Just raise your hand. And keep your hand up if you know where the bathrooms are. Okay, if you've been here longer than a month and you know where the bathrooms are, congratulations, you are now on the welcome team. Um, because you know more than some. And so, really, uh, we're all church family. Uh, we're all here together. So if you see somebody that you don't know or they look new, they probably are. And if they say, well, no, I've been going here for 30 years, say, well, I haven't. So it's nice to meet you. Um, and, you know, just let's all be nice to one another. Um, I think that's the only announcements I have. Uh, come to Pizza with the Pastors on the 14th. Okay, let's jump into Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we'll, we'll pick it up in verse 9, and we're talking about calling. In this story, we're going to see Jesus calling Matthew, the tax collector, to be his disciple. So I wanted to share with you a story of Jesus calling me at one point in my life into ministry. I was in college, and I was actually working as the custodian at my church, and um, I was volunteering on the worship team. I've been a musician as long as I can remember. I played saxophone, guitar, and then sang harmony uh, with a worship leader every now and again. And so our worship leader left, and uh, the pastor said, I would like for you to be our new worship leader. And I said, gee, I've never done that before. I don't know if that's something I should do or not. I don't know if if that's what God wants me to do with my life. and he said, well, pray about it and think about it. And so I said, okay, I'll try it for a little while and see how it goes. And a, a couple of Sundays into leading worship, we just had one of those encounters with God that, you know, if, it's one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my life. We were singing the song, Holy Spirit Rain Down, which is an old Hillsong um, song. And in the middle of the song, there are about 400 people uh, there on that Sunday morning and in the middle of the song, the Holy Spirit just rolled into the church 
and you could actually feel the weight of God's presence in the room, the congregation immediately went silent. So did most of the worship team. (laughs) Stopped playing. It was like dead silence for about 30 seconds or so, and the presence of God was so heavy that a lot of people were down on their knees. A lot of the worship team like ended up laying on their face on the, on the no, nothing weird beyond that happened. Uh, about 30 seconds later, the weight lifted. We stood up. We said, what chord were we on? Okay, one, two, three, go. We sang the rest of the song. The pastor came up and preached. And, um, but God really used that experience to confirm to me that I was supposed to be a worship leader. That was my calling at that season in my life. And the, que- the reason I tell that story is to ask you the question, what is God calling you to do? What is your calling in life? What does that even mean? And how do you know if God's calling you to something? Uh, can your calling change in different seasons of life? Can you be called to more than one thing at a time? Like, what is your calling? How do you know Can can you be called to be an engineer? Or are you called to be a teacher? Are you called to be a salesman? Are you called to be a homemaker, a mom, or a dad, or whatever? What is your calling? And and can you have multiple callings? And how do you figure that out? Um, And so we're going to see in this story, as Jesus calls Matthew to be one of his disciples, that while God might have specific, unique callings for all of us personally, He also has three sort of universal callings for all of us. We're going to see those three callings that he has for everyone. When Jesus calls, he calls us to all of us to three things. And those callings can be true in any job, in any context, everywhere that you go, anywhere that you go every day. So we're going to see three universal callings of Christ in this story. Let's read the story together from Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he called a man, a man, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, that's Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed." But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. In this passage, we see three callings that Jesus gives to everyone. Everyone. The first one is this. The call of Jesus is a call to admit you're sick. Jesus invites all of us to acknowledge that we are poor in spirit, as he said in the Sermon on the Mount. In this story, Jesus calls a most unlikely disciple, Matthew, 
Matthew is the author of the Gospel of Matthew, the book that we're reading right now in Scripture, and Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Jewish man who collected taxes from his fellow countrymen and gave some of the proceeds to Rome. The Roman Empire had come in, they had defeated Israel, they had subjugated the land, they were very oppressive in their rule over the Jews. And so Matthew, as a Jew, who was basically extorting his fellow Jews to give money to their oppressors, you can imagine Matthew was not a very popular person among the Jewish people. He was despised and rejected and hated because they saw him as a traitor and as a turncoat And as one of the most uh, egregious of all sins was to turn your back on your own people and collaborate with their oppressors, the Romans. So Jesus comes and he calls this reject to be his disciple, to come into his inner circle. And then Matthew throws a banquet and invites a whole bunch of other tax collectors and rejects, sinners, who, who would hang out with tax collectors, people like prostitutes, Right? He calls these other people who have been rejected and are despised by the religious elite and they all come and they have this big party and Jesus is there eating a meal with these people. He is including them in his circle and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, could not understand why if Jesus is this big rabbi, if he's supposed to be God's Messiah, what in the world is he doing eating a meal with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus, I love the way he answers this. He says in verse 12, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In his answer, he shows two flaws in the the Pharisee's logic. First of all, he says, imagine a doctor who refuses to see sick people. That's kind of absurd, right? What does a doctor do? He treats the sick. She treats the sick. Imagine a doctor who refuses to treat sick people will only see healthy patients. What good would that doctor be? No good at all, right? And Jesus says, look, you Pharisees believe that God's going to send the Messiah to rescue his people from their sins. How can the Messiah save people from their sins if he doesn't hang out with sinners? Right? How can he go and rescue people and forgive people and bring them out of slavery to sin if he's not there eating with them, uh, spending time with them face to face? It would be like a doctor who refuses to treat sick people. A savior who doesn't hang out with sinners is not much of a savior. Right? And, and that's the first flaw in their logic. Second flaw in their logic is maybe a little more subtle, but maybe a little more pointed. Imagine a sick person who refuses to admit they're sick and doesn't go to the doctor. Well, that might not be too hard to imagine. Most wives probably have husbands who are just like that. I will lay on the couch and complain about how sick I feel and ask Corinne for help for everything, and yet I will refuse to go to the doctor, right? So we do that all the time, but this is what Jesus is saying. Not only is, is your reaction like, why would a doctor treat sick people? But Jesus is also challenging the Pharisees in a subtle way by asking them, will you admit that you're sick too? Yes, you're following all these religious traditions, but you need the doctor just as much as the tax collectors and the sinners do. 
The first call of Jesus is a call to admit that we're sick. People who aren't sick don't need a doctor, and people who aren't sinners don't need a savior. And that leads to the question, am I a sinner? Well, what is sin? Sin is anything that goes against the will of God. Have I ever gone against the will of God in my life? You better believe it. Only on days that end in Y. Right? So are, are we willing to admit that we're sinners? Well, uh, sin is not a very popular term in our society. In fact, if you use that word in some circles, they will laugh at you. Well, that doesn't even exist. That's not even real. Right? What kind of backwoods redneck are you? Uh, how do we know that people are sinners? Well, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then a few verses down in verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that everyone is a sinner. And Jesus was challenging the Pharisees to admit that they were sinners too. But the question is, do we agree that the Bi- with the Bible that everyone is a sinner? A lot of people don't. Well, there's a really easy way to understand that everyone is a sinner. How many of you have had kids? Right? Who taught your kids to lie? Look at your spouse. It wasn't them. <laughs> right? Nobody taught my kids to lie, but every single one of my kids have lied. Who taught that? Nobody. Do you know why they did? Because they're infected with a spiritual disease called sin. All of us are. Everyone is a sinner. And until we admit that we're sick, we'll never come to the doctor for the cure. That's the first call, is to admit you're sick. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who will admit that they don't have a self-righteousness, that they're not good enough, that they're not a, a, the right kind of person, they're poor in spirit, because guess what they get? They get the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a one-class society for sinners only. There are no righteous people that get into the kingdom of heaven on their own righteousness. It is for sinners only. Listen, this is one of the most misunderstood things in our world today. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And if you're going to be forgiven, that means you have to have something to forgive. I have to have been a sinner. I have to admit that I'm sick or I will never come to Jesus for the cure. The good news is that Jesus came to heal the sick, not just physically, but spiritually. That's the first call of Jesus that is a call for everyone to admit you're sick. Second call in this story is a call to share the cure. Jesus invites us all to give to others what we have received from him. What is the cure? If we're going to admit we're sick, we need a cure. What is that cure? Look at verse 13. Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, there are two words in there that I really want to highlight for us this morning. The first one is the word sacrifice. 
See, this, this statement, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, is a quote from the Old Testament prophet Hosea, the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. And Jesus is quoting back there. So the, the word sacrifice is shorthand for all the religious practices and traditions and rituals in the Old Testament. All of the religious practices and, and traditions and rituals that the Jews practiced, that's all summarized in the word sacrifice. All the feasts, all the festivals, all the offerings and the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the prayers and the worship services and all of that is shorthanded in the word sacrifice. And then the other word that I want to point out is the word mercy. In our English Bibles, it's translated mercy. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, it's the Hebrew word hesed. Everybody say hesed. Now say it with a little <laughs> at the beginning. Chesed. Yeah, well, that's good. That's, yeah. right. It's the word hesed. Now, the word hesed is a really important word in the Bible. It, it, it's over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. It most often describes God, and it's usually translated with words like loving kindness, faithful love, steadfast love, loyal love, covenant love, right? It has this aspect or this meaning of relationship. God is in a faithful, steadfast, loving relationship with his people. He has made a covenant to be in relationship with them. So when Jesus is quoting Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, what he's saying is God says, I desire faithful, loving relationship and not religious rituals and traditions and practices. Now why would God say that? Because isn't it true that God is the one who established the religious rituals and practices and traditions of the Old Testament? Is Jesus here saying that religious traditions are wrong? No. God did establish the religious traditions in the Old Testament. What's the point? What's he getting at? Well, you have to keep reading to figure that out. Verse 14, the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, came to Jesus and said, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? I love this quote by commentator Michael Green, New Testament scholar, he says this, there is something very typical and ironic about this inquiry. Here are the disciples of John and the Pharisees wondering why on earth they fast. Typical of religious people, they engage in all sorts of actions and ceremonies and have not the least idea why they do it. It's not that their religious actions and ceremonies are wrong. They just don't understand why they do it. And we see that in Jesus' response in verse 15. Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. See, the point that Jesus is, is making is this. You're keeping all of these religious traditions, but you don't even know what they mean. You're doing all these religious practices, but you don't even understand why you're doing it. It's not when you fast, but why you fast that matters. Right? You, all these religious practices, all these religious traditions, you're missing the point. What's the point? The point is mercy. The point is hesed. The point is faithful, loving relationships with God and with others. See, here's what Jesus is teaching. All of the religious practices and rituals and traditions were designed for bringing us together 
to be in God's presence together so that we could build relationships with God and God-centered relationships with others. That's the whole point. So what are some of these religious practices? Well, Christians have a, a, a lot of our own religious practices. Why do we get up on Sunday morning and come to church to worship? The reason why we have worship services is so that we can come together and be together in the presence of God and give our hearts and ourselves to him in worship as he speaks to us. It is to build hesed with God, loving relationship. Coming to a worship service isn't about, I need a pick-me-up, and I want to hear an encouraging message, or I've been a little lax lately and I need to be challenged, or I love the music and and I'll sing to the songs that I like, or I want to check off some box like I've come and performed these rituals so that God will be pleased with me. Now, we get all of those things when we worship together, but that's not the primary reason. If we come to church and we miss the point that we're here to be together as God's household experiencing his presence, then we've missed the point of a worship service. Another really popular Christian tradition is Bible studies. Bible studies uh, take many different forms, whether it's six people sitting on couches in a living room or whether it's 12 people in a classroom at the church. But the question is, Why? Why do we have Bible studies? Why do we do that religious practice? And it might come as a surprise to some to know that we don't do Bible studies primarily to learn information from Scripture. Now, do we learn a lot of truth from Scripture as we study the Bible? Absolutely we do. But the reason why we have Bible studies is to get people together around Scripture and prayer so that they can establish hesed, loving community with one another on the foundation of God's word and God's spirit through prayer. The Bible studies exist for the hesed, not the other way around, right? Jesus is teaching that uh, religious practices are good and they are important as long as we do them in the right way for the right reasons and don't miss the point of God-centered community with others and loving relationships with God himself. And then Jesus calls us not only to receive community with God, but to share that with others. That's exactly what Matthew did in the story. He had received forgiveness from God. He had had his relationship with God restored through the forgiveness of Christ. And the first thing he did was throw a party and invite all of his friends because he wanted them to experience the same restoration and forgiveness and hesed and mercy that he had experienced with Christ. We are called to give to others what God has given to us, to share the love of Christ with others in community. And that's why at Lakeview Church this fall, we're going to start something new that we've never done as a church before. We're calling it Gospel Communities that will meet once a month, about 20 to 30 people or so, and we'll begin to share meals together and share hesed together as we come into God's presence together. So I'm going to invite one of our gospel community leaders uh, up to come and share a little bit about his vision and his heart for gospel communities here at Lakeview Church. Uh, Welcome Daryl Anderson. Thank you, Pastor Andy. It's good to be here. I trust that all of you are having a great summer so far. I can't believe how quickly it's going by. And by great summer, I mean if you're married, you know, with your spouse, that means that all of your communication is fantastic. Every word you choose, 
uh, every context that it's in, and every tone you use is just right for encouraging uh, one another in that. And I'm sure in the area of finances, you know, when it comes to finances, you're right on the same page. Every expense is taken, is agreed upon. Your spouse never spends a dime on anything you wouldn't totally agree with and enjoy. And if you have kids, those little angels are just perfect. No problems. However, if a problem comes in from a neighbor or, you know, some outside source, you as parents know exactly how to deal with that problem, the words to say and how to encourage and, and go on like that. Um, and for those that are single, of course, life is even better. Um, <laughs> you don't have those kinds of struggles. Not a day uh, of loneliness, not a day of discouragement. You know, life, as they say, each day gets better and better as we go along. Now, how many people identify with that picture of life? No, I'm sitting here with a bunch of Christians, and I'm not seeing any hands go up here. Yeah, life is not that way. Um, a little secret, sinful people living in a fallen world does not bode well for any of us. In fact, the words that identify mostly with Jesus are those where he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Um, and that's our life. That's our struggle. Uh, and that's who we are and where we're going. But also Jesus gives us hope in that, that in following those that he will overcome the world. And really... Jesus gives us a way to identify those struggles and to work with them and to be encouraged through them by the church. And what we're developing is gospel communities, a context in which we can apply all of the one another's in the Bible. There's almost over 100 one another's in the Bible. Uh, there was a sermon series done a little while ago on the one another's. You might remember the Greek word that was flashed up, up there on the screen. It was all alone which sounds like all alone or by yourself, but actually the word means one another, all alone. Um, encourage one another, love one another, support one another, carry one another's burdens. Um, because we're going through all of those struggles in life as couples, as singles, with kids, all those different contexts, and we want to provide as a church a way to encourage one another and um, be able to share with one another those burdens so that we can press on in life in a way that pleases our Lord. And so that's why we're asking people to sign up and join the gospel communities and, and we'll start that so that we can apply those one another's. It, it's difficult or almost impossible to apply one another's in this context, a worship context. We need a context that we can share the burdens that we're carrying so others of us can carry those burdens with us. And when we're struggling with some things, other people maybe have gone through a similar thing recently and can help us struggle with that. So that's the gospel, the reason for gospel communities and trust that uh, most of you can uh, become involved in some way or another. So Andy, I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you, sir. Call of Jesus is a call to admit that you're sick a call to share the cure,
And the third calling that we see in here is a call to live a new life. Jesus invites all of us to be a new kind of people. We see that in the last two verses, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wine skins and so both are preserved. You don't take a, a new piece of cloth that hasn't been washed yet and use it to patch up an old garment. It shrinks when it gets washed. It destroys the garment. Neither do you take uh, new wine that's unfermented and put it into old wineskins that have already stretched. As the wine ferments, it stretches the wineskins, and if they've already been stretched, they don't have any more room to stretch, and they burst. Now, I will confess that for years, I have never understood how that saying connects with fasting and bridegrooms and Matthew the tax collector. But as I studied it this week, what I learned is that not only does Jesus call us to admit that we're sick, and not only does he call us to share the cure, but he also calls us to live a new life. That's what he's saying in these passages. Jesus didn't come to reform. He came to rebuild. Right, right. Jesus doesn't show up to your life with a six-ounce hammer and a little can of spackling and a paintbrush so that he can patch up all the little dings in the drywall. No, Jesus comes to your life with a bulldozer because he's going to bulldoze down your old way of life and he's going to rebuild your life into a home fit for a king, for him. He didn't come to remodel, he's coming to remake completely to remake you into something new. It's a whole new way of life. And what Jesus is teaching is you can't shove Jesus into your old life. It won't work. You can't say, well, yes, I believe the Bible is true and I believe the stories about Jesus are real and I put my faith in Jesus and now I'm going to still live for self. I'm still going to live for career. I'm still going to have the same values that I used to have. I'm still going to live the same way that I used to live. I'm still going to pursue and define happiness the same way that I've always pursued and defined happiness and I'm so glad that I've sprinkled a little bit of Jesus into my life to help with that. That's not how it works. If you try to shove Jesus into your old way of life, eventually it explodes, the bottom falls out on your faith, and it accomplishes nothing. Because Jesus didn't call us to accept or adopt a new set of religious beliefs. He called us to live a new life, to be a new kind of people. Um, you may have heard this statistic before, but every year, around 400,000 Americans have coronary artery bypass grafting surgery. It's a mouthful, coronary artery bypass grafting surgery. Shorthand, heart bypass surgery. <laughs> Around 400,000 Americans every year have bypass surgery and most of them could avoid future heart problems if they would make a few simple changes to their lifestyle. Eat healthier, exercise, and get better sleep. But Dr. Edward Miller, formerly the dean of the medical school at Johns Hopkins University, says this, if you look at people who've had coronary artery bypass grafting, two years later, 90% of them have not changed their lifestyle. 90%. He says that's been studied over and over and over again, and so we're missing some link in there. 
even though they know they have a very bad disease and they know they should change their lifestyle for whatever reason, they don't. What Jesus is teaching in this passage is this. Now that you've had heart surgery, don't go back to eating fried chicken every day and sitting on the couch in front of the TV for four hours every night. That's not healthy. Now that I have come, I have given my life on the cross for you, I have shed my blood for your sin, I have taken all of your sin and nailed it to the cross so it is dead and it died with me and then I overcame death and was resurrected on the third day and now I stand here ready to offer you hesed with God, restored relationship with God through forgiveness and mercy that I purchased on the cross. Now that I have done all of that for you, don't go back to your old way of life. That's not who you are anymore. The old you is gone, it's dead, then there's a new you. You've been born again as a child of God, so be who you are now in Christ. And the good news is, when we sometimes wander back into those old familiar paths, and I do it too, we all do, it's only one step back to the path with Jesus. No matter how many steps away you are, it's only one step back to Jesus. He calls us to live a new life, not to live the old life built on career or money or hobbies or living vicariously through our kids as we put them in activity after activity after activity after activity after activity, right? He calls us to live a new kind of life, to be a new kind of people who have a new rhythm of life, who have new spiritual practices, Practices that lead us into hesed with God and with others. What are some of those rhythms and practices? Let me share a couple of them with you. First, gather weekly with the household of God to worship him together. Now, you're all here, so maybe I'm preaching to the choir. But one of the rhythms that you can establish as life with Jesus is to gather weekly, to gather regularly with his household, the church, your spiritual family, so that we can be together in his presence and worship him together and establish hesed with God. Another way that uh, rhythm or spiritual practice that you can work into your life is to spend time with God regularly in scripture and prayer. And you might say, well, I don't know how to do that. That's great, you don't have to know how to do that. Just get together with two or three other people, maybe once a week or maybe once every other week, and say, what is God doing in your life? How is life going? Can we pray together? What can I pray about? What can you pray about for me? Right? And then maybe say, let's, let's just read one chapter of Matthew's gospel each week and then talk about what is God doing? What's he stirring up in your heart? I didn't understand that passage. I didn't either. Oh, let's just pray that God will give us understanding, right? Simple as that. You don't need, a, you don't need training. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need to come to a how to have coffee with two or three friends class so that we can teach you how to have, make conversation with people. No, you, you do this all the time. Have coffee with two or three people and then just say, what's God doing in your life and how can we pray together? And if you do that, if you start there, you will begin to build hesed with God and with others. The, let me wrap all of these things up. The call of Jesus is to admit you're sick, to share the cure, and to live a new life. The question is, will you answer that call? Will you answer his call this morning? For some people, answering that call means taking the very first step with Jesus. 
to admit that you're sick. Yes, I am a sinner, and I have never come to Christ and given my life to him. I haven't let go of my life and given control over to God, and I need to do that today. For some people, that might be the next step for you, is to admit you're sick and come to Jesus to receive his forgiveness and mercy. For some, taking the next step means moving from consumer to community. Maybe you've kind of approached church as a spiritual consumer. And I I like the the spiritual goods and services and content that this church provides me. And I I come when I need a spiritual oil change in my life. I need either a challenge or 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 an encouragement or something. But I don't really engage relationally with all the people that are sitting around me because they're just other shoppers like me. When I go to Walmart, I don't really have a big desire to go up and introduce myself and get to know the person in the bread aisle. They're just another shopper like me. Now, maybe I should be a little more friendly, but, you know, I'm not really, like, I'm not looking to, to build a relationship with this person. They're just another shopper. Well, a lot of Christians come to church, and they're, they're just shopping spiritual shoppers. Yeah, we're here. Oh, I recognize that person. I've seen them in the store before but I'm not really engaged. Maybe it's time for some of us to move from being a consumer to being a brother or a sister or an aunt or an uncle or a grandpa or a grandma in the faith to invest in the family, the household of God. Maybe that's the way that you answer that call to share the cure. And maybe for others, answering the call of Christ today means moving from spectator to player. Now, I'm going to step on a few toes, and I understand that. You can send me an email later if you're frustrated. I've got a really good spam filter for disgruntled emails. No, I don't. Some of us have been in the church for 10, 15, 20, 40, 50 years, and we've been sitting in Bible studies for 15, 20, 30 years, and we've never stepped over the line to disciple anyone. Well, I don't have enough Bible knowledge. Well, I could never teach. I could never preach on a Sunday. I'm not good at that. I could never organize a class or teach a Bible study. And and I'm not asking you to do any of those things. A lot of times we say, I don't know how to disciple somebody. I've been following Jesus for 30 years and I don't know how to disciple somebody. Well, all you have to do is start. You don't need special training. Just have coffee with two or three people and say, how can I pray for you today? And let the Holy Spirit take it from there. And he will. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've done it. He will. And sometimes we need to move from being a spectator to being a player. And if you've been following Jesus for more than a few years, you're probably ready to jump into the game and start discipling other people. And we may need to do that this morning. Let me pray and we'll conclude our service. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for sending your son to die on the cross to give his life in exchange for our lives. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for calling not only Matthew to be your disciple, but all of us are called to be your disciples. And I pray that we would have the courage to be brutally honest with ourselves and admit that all of us are sinners. 
And maybe my sin doesn't seem as bad as the person sitting behind me. But I just pray that we would acknowledge our sin nonetheless because we don't know their life and they don't know ours. And there's probably more infection in there than we realize. So Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to confess that sin to you and to receive your forgiveness and your mercy, your hesed. And I ask that you would begin to pull our church family together with so many new people and new families. We thank you for bringing them into our fellowship. And I ask that you would begin to pour your Holy Spirit out upon us so that we can build that loving, God-centered community with one another built on the foundation of Scripture and prayer. And Lord, would you stir in the hearts of some who've been following you for years, maybe even decades, would you (laughs) hound them and keep them awake at night until they step into that discipleship role and begin to share the wisdom and the experience and the knowledge that you have poured into them over the course of years and decades? Would you do that for us as your children who love and adore our Father in heaven. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Go in peace, have a great week, and don't forget the baptism classes downstairs in the student wing. All right, see ya.